turn to Ephesians 2. We are um, picking back up in our study of Ephesians. We've made our way to the middle of chapter 2. Our passage today is Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. (coughs) Follow as I read. This is the Word of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Now, we looked at uh, these verses a couple weeks ago, and at that time we really did a a bit of a historical survey, and I asked you the question, um, have God's people always been saved by grace, or was there a time when God's people were saved by works? And as we saw, the clear answer throughout the Scriptures is that God's people have always been saved by grace, never by works, and that dates all the way back to Adam and Eve. Um, We're probably going to spend another couple weeks at least in this passage. Uh, But before we move on, does anyone have any questions they want to ask about that, about the fact that God's people have always been saved by grace? All right. Um, We are saved by grace, not works. We are not saved by our own doing. We are saved by God's doing. Not a result of our works, a result of God's work. I think everyone, or most everyone in here, gets that. But um, <clears throat> the thing that I want to focus on today, we, I mentioned it a few months ago, but I really want to spend the, the class period on it today, is that, uh, just ask a question, did you know that your faith is a part of that gift? Your faith is a part of the gift of salvation, the gift of God's grace. Did you know that the faith with which you believe in Christ was given to you by God? That's one of the things that this passage is telling us. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What's not my own doing? My salvation is not my own doing. I have been saved by grace through faith, not grace plus faith. Being saved is not my own doing. It's a gift. All of it, even the ability to believe, is a gift. So if I were paraphrasing verses 8 and 9, I would say um, we are saved by God's grace, not by our works, and the spiritual tool that God gives in, in saving us is faith. Of course, we're, um, there is a sense in which we operate our faith. We, we believe, right? We must believe in Christ to be saved, but the point I'm going to make today is that God is the chief operator. God installs saving faith into every Christian at conversion. Now, these may be new thoughts to you. It may bring up all sorts of questions in your mind. That's okay. Uh, If you have questions, I do want you to ask them. Other people might be thinking them too. Or maybe you're thinking of a question that you might know the answer to, but maybe you think someone else is thinking it and it might be helpful to ask. But hold on to your questions for a few minutes and there will be time for that. So think about this. One of the passages I was thinking about this week as I was, as I was thinking about this, 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now, we tend to apply that to money, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, Paul goes on to apply that to the riches of this world. But we can also apply it elsewhere. What do you have that you did not receive? Did you put the breath in your lungs, or did you receive it from God? You received it from God. That breath you just took was a gift. Every breath that you've ever taken has been a gift to you from God. Or how about your job? Did you get that primarily because you earned it or because God opened a door for you uh, and gave it to you? You might say, well, I got it because I'm a hard worker. Well, okay, that may be true. But where did you get that work ethic? Maybe your parents taught it to you. Well, how did you get set up in the family that you're in? You know, you can see how everything can be traced back to the hand of God. We have nothing. We have nothing that we did not receive from Him. And that includes the faith with which we believe in Him. So back to the passage in Ephesians, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Look at the next few words. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So this is talking about uh, being born again. Everyone in Christ is a new creation, right? We were created the first time in our mother's womb. But everyone who is a Christian was also created a second time, which is big word is known as regeneration, also called the new birth or being born again. So just think about that word in our passage, created. We are created in Christ Jesus. Who is the creator? Just making sure you're here. Um, there, there is no other, right? God is a creator. Now, we, we create things, but when we create things, we, we already have the raw materials to work with, right? So we're not really creators. We're creative. We, there's something that we can see of the creativity of God in us, but it's not the same. When God creates... He creates something where there was nothing. Raw materials and all. God created us in the womb, and God created us in Christ Jesus. He, he created us spiritually. We were dead. We've seen that in this passage in, in Ephesians 2. And God made us alive. God created something where there was nothing. So I want you to think about this. Um, no Christian takes credit for any part of the physical birth, right? Like, yeah, God created me except for my brain. I did that part. Or, yeah, God made me, but I got that heartbeat stuff um, under control. I mean, it'd be asinine. Why is it then that Christians often want to take credit for such a, such a vital part of the new birth? I mean, isn't it pretty common... Um, to think about faith primarily as something that is ours as opposed to something that God has given. When God creates, that means He makes something where there was nothing, raw materials and all. Um, that was true in the original creation. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And before there was light, there was not light, right? I mean, 
He created it. This is also true when someone is created in Christ. God creates spiritual life where there was nothing. No ability to believe, no life, no nothing. Now, to be fair, there are uh, many Christians who would disagree with this. And um, so what I'm saying is that God regenerates us, or you could say creates us in Christ, or you could say brings us from death to life, and then we believe. God creates us, and then we believe. There are many who would say that we believe, and in response to that, God gives us new life. I'm not saying that people are not Christians uh, for thinking that way, but I do think that it's very important that we think the way that I'm talking about. Number one, because it seems to be so clear to me is what the Bible teaches, and I'll show you a few other reasons in a minute. Another way to think about it, in, uh, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, a story some of you, many of you are familiar with. Nicodemus is a man of the Pharisees. He comes to Jesus one night um, to talk with him, and Jesus says to him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says someone has to be brought from spiritual death to spiritual life in order to see the kingdom of God. But what is he talking about seeing the kingdom? Does he mean seeing with our eyeballs? What do you guys think? No, good answer. He's talking about seeing with the eyes of faith. It's the same thing that we would say when we talk about our coming to Christ for the first time or someone else coming to Christ for the first time. We say his or her eyes were opened to the truth, right? But we don't mean their eyelids. I mean, their eyelids had been opened before. We mean their faith. When we say that our eyes have been opened to the truth, we mean that that is the first time that we have truly believed. My point is, you can't see with the eyes of faith until God causes you to have the eyes of faith, until God causes you to be born again. But when He brings someone to new life, we will most certainly see the truth. In other words, He enables us to believe. So, do you believe in Jesus? That's a gift. Not only is Jesus God's gift to you, but your ability to believe in Jesus is God's gift to you. All right, who has questions? All right, go back to sleep. Um, Well, here's some application for your life. Number one, God has gone to greater lengths than maybe we thought in order to save us. We were created by God to worship Him, and our worship gets greater the more that we realize how desperate our need was to be saved, and the more that we realize how much God has, in fact, done for us to save us. So again, we were dead in our sin. We were lifeless, not waiting on someone to throw us a life preserver. We were at the bottom of the ocean. But God came to get us. Jesus died for our sins, and on account of His finished work, He sent the Holy Spirit to bring new life, to enable us to believe so that we could be saved. Well, why would He do that? Because of His great mercy. By grace, we have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
Yeah, I'm always going to be in favor of the position that makes God's grace bigger because I believe really that's the whole aim of the Bible um, to help us realize as sinners just how desperate our position is and to help us realize the great lengths that God went to save us so that we can give all glory to Him and all praise to His glorious grace. Your faith was given to you. The next thing... Um, that I think this helps with is security in our salvation. Jeremy talked last week about uh, not having that security for many years in his life and maybe in college or sometime around there, you know, resting in uh, the, the surety of his salvation. <clears throat> so do you believe in Jesus? Do you ever worry about whether your faith will be strong enough to make it all the way? You know, I mean, it says you must persevere to the end to be saved. Do you ever worry if you're going to persevere to the end? I can say to you confidently that if you believe now, you will, not because you're so strong, but because God is. God installed your faith, and He is the chief operator. God does not give a defective faith. He gave it to you for the purpose of believing in Christ. And not just for believing in Christ for a little while. He gave it to you so that you would make it all the way home. I want to show you this in the Bible. Uh, turn to 1 Peter 1. I reference 1 Peter quite a bit. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, we talked about this a couple of few months ago, but some of you weren't in here a few months ago. And uh, even if you were, I want to make sure that you're familiar with this passage. <clears throat> First Peter 1, 3-5. through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a lot. Let's move through it slow. What does verse 3 say? God caused us to be born again. Verse 4. He, he caused us to be born again to an eternal inheritance that He's keeping for us in heaven. Um, simply put, the best of the Christian life is not in the here and now. It's being kept in heaven for us. It's our inheritance um, that we have in Christ. What does verse 5 say? Y'all answer that. What does verse 5 say? God caused us to be born again. He, he caused us to be born again uh, for this inheritance that is being kept for us in heaven. But we're not in heaven right now. We're here. But it's being kept in heaven for us. What does verse 5 say? God's power. Not, all, not all at the same time. Aaron. I was just saying he keeps us until the end. It does say that. What, it, Jeff? Guarded by God's power. Okay. Through faith. Through faith. So, faith is how we get to the finish line, right? We're saved in the here and now in this world, but the inheritance that we're seeking is not in the here and now. It's in glory, and we're not there yet. And the way that we get there is faith. I mean, that's... 
how ultimately we're saved is believing. And so faith is how we get to the finish line. Um, and we are being guarded by God's power through this life to make sure that we get to the finish line. Faith is the apparatus that He is using to guard us, to protect us, to make sure that we get there. It's just a different way than I think we tend to think about faith. So what this says about our faith is that God is the chief operator of our faith, and that is good news because your faith is not limited to your strength. Your faith is only limited by God's strength, which is not limited. So for those that struggle, and maybe you don't now, but you know, things can happen, and, and you might. For those that struggle to be sure if you're truly going to make it all the way, think about it. The question is not whether or not you have what it takes. It's whether God has what it takes because He's the one guarding you with His power through faith. So do you have the strength? No. Does God have the strength to power your faith enough to get you home? Yes. This is also very helpful when you think about perseverance through suffering. How is it that Christians can go through such terrible sufferings and still trust God? In fact, can come out on the other side of such sufferings trusting God all the more because He strengthens our faith to go through suffering. In fact, not only does He give us the strength to endure trial and suffering, He also uses the trial and suffering to strengthen our faith. That's the way He's designed faith to work. It's His, and He gives it to us, and that's the way He's the designer. Um, and that's really what the next few verses in First Peter is saying. is talking about how in God's hands, trial and suffering are actually a blessing because they strengthen our faith and refine it and polish it and make it more pure. So um, this helps us to know something of how to pray for believers who are suffering, facing things. It seems like we've had a lot of those on our prayer list the last couple weeks. Um, you know, God strengthened their faith to endure this. We know that they don't have the strength, but but you gave them the faith to believe in you and, and you're guarding them through faith and you, by your power. So give them more of your power. That's what they need. They don't have the strength, but you do. So give them the strength. Um, next thing. Whenever I talk about stuff like this, I, I like to always include the other side because it comes up. Maybe it's come up in your head. Um, one of the things that comes up when you talk about the fact that even the ability to believe is a gift from God, then the question comes, well, does evangelism then even matter? Does it? I mean, if people can't believe unless God enables them to believe, what in the world is the difference if I go and tell them the gospel? Um, you could study this passage more if you'd like, but I'll just mention in uh, Cliff Notes version, Romans 10, 14 through 17 says, well, how will they believe in Him in whom they've never heard? And how will they hear unless someone tells them? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. So, they don't have faith yet. We know they need it. We know ultimately God's the only one that can install it. But He's also set it up 
to where um, our telling is significant in the whole process. God has already given us the ability to believe in Him. And, you know, that came from hearing about Jesus. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. And He's also now given us some responsibility. We're to tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ. How will they hear unless we tell them? How will they believe if they don't hear? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of Christ. Um, God has given us an awesome responsibility to tell people the gospel, and He uses our telling to open their eyes and open their ears. We must tell them. Whatever I've just said about faith being a gift does nothing to do away with that at all. Uh, We may not be able to understand kind of how that fits together, but it fits together. Of course, there are many who have heard and don't believe. And, you know, that part's not up to us. Only God can cause someone to believe, and He uses His Word as the means to, to do that. But we can tell them. And if anything, I think this just ups the ante to pray for them. You know, we can knock down the doors of heaven talking to the very one, the only one, that can actually save them and cause them to believe. So I think it gives a greater urgency for prayer and telling and prayer and telling. You know... um, there were a lot of years in my life where I was not believing. And it was very clear. Uh, there were a lot of years, those years, that people were praying for me regularly, faithfully. And, I mean, I've probably told some of you this before, but there, you know, Randy Ray was our youth minister at that time. And when I became a Christian, he told me he prayed for me every week for six years. That's a lot of time. I mean, it's a lot of weeks. There was another girl who I went to high school with, and um, I wasn't even that good of friends with her, but I knew her reasonably well, and her mom and dad are Christians, and she was a Christian, and her mom told me that uh, she prayed for me every week for six or seven years. I mean, I was on her prayer list the whole time that I rebelled in high school and went through college, and, you know, and I told both of them, I said, look, though I may not have believed until years later, God was answering those prayers the whole time. He was bringing conviction of sin. He was troubling me in my lifestyle. I mean, I, I, I could no longer rest in the way that I was trying to live. That was God's grace to me. I started to fear death. Uh, I started to fear worse than death, condemnation, judgment. That was God's gift to me in the way that He drew me All I'm saying is, people's praying was a huge part of my coming to Christ. And um, we we can pray. So I mentioned this a, a few months back, and I'll say it again. I want you to think of five people, five people in your life that do not know the Lord. Um... I want you to put all five pictures. It might be ten. You might not be able to stop, you know. But uh, put all five pictures on the same piece of paper. Please don't put that in a public place where they're going to see this. And they're like, oh, that's, you know, what is that? But, uh, yeah, 
Put that piece of paper somewhere where you're going to see it regularly and pray for those people regularly by name. I'm not making any guarantees. All I can tell you is what happened to me. Um, Pray for them regularly, that God would bring conviction of sin, that God would give the faith to believe as, uh, as only He can. That God would open doors for them to hear the truth of the gospel. That He would put people in their life that would share the gospel with them. Uh, that He would open their eyes, you know, and, and give them the faith to believe. And how about this? For the next year, as you're praying, just be more intentional about spending time with those people. And, and you know, there are family members that will come to your mind automatically. And we see our family members, right? You see family members at things, family things. But sometimes those are a little chaotic and not maybe the best time to saddle up and have a heart-to-heart. I'm not saying you have to have a heart-to-heart on the first date, but if you're a little bit more intentional about spending time with that person, even if they're out of town, communicating with that person through Facebook or text message or phone calls or whatever, um, and you're praying for them, and you're praying for open doors for them, you're at least going to be a little bit more in tune with some of those opportunities that, that may open up. And you could pray for courage. You know, we all need courage for boldness to, to just share. It's scary for all of us. I'm comfortable here. I'm not comfortable in that setting. I don't think any of us are. I don't think the first Christians were. I think it's always scary. But we, we come to the point where we believe it's important enough. Look, we love these people. Their eternities are hanging in the balance and, and we have the words of life. And we can pray and I just think that's significant. You know, some of you are sharing the gospel and I mean, you've shared these stories with me personally and, and you've been praying for these people. All I can say is keep sharing and keep praying. Uh, God may not allow you to see when they come to Christ, uh, in fact, their coming to Christ is in His hands. But you are planting seeds that would bring them to life. And, and He may do that down the road. You know, the things that were popping into my head when I was 21 are things that were planted in my head when I was 7 and 9 and 11, 15. Um, It's no small thing that He's put these people on your heart. It's no small thing that He has put you in their life. I'm thinking about that even as we go to this wedding today. I mean, there are masses of people all over the world who have never had a messenger sent to them. And today, John and I are two, you know, proclaiming Christ. What better way to do that than in a marriage? Because, I mean, every marriage points to the ultimate marriage of Christ and His people. I just think about that. That is not insignificant. I think God cares about these people today. And, and God cares about the people that you, He has put you in, in their life. Um, as I was saying about this, I mean, I, sometimes I think we just need to simplify what we're all about. You know, we want to mature in Christ. And we want to reach the world for Christ. That's the, the mission statement of this church. It's really a good summary of what being a Christian is all about. I mean, we want to grow up to know the Lord more and more. Um, and, and part of doing that is understanding that He is the one that has made all of this happen. 
He's brought us to life. He's even given us the faith to believe. I mean, what great lengths He's gone to to save us. And He's enabled us, commissioned us to go and reach the world. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for saving us. There may even be someone in here today that does not yet know you. And um, Lord, we ask that you would open their eyes to see the truth and give them a heart to respond, the faith to believe. And Lord, we do pray that, uh, I pray that you would keep bringing this thing to mind, that we would uh, put a little structure to our our planning and praying and sharing and um, keep us mindful, Lord, to be more intentional about this. What a great privilege it is to get to serve you. And uh, many of us can think about the messengers that you sent to us, even if it were our parents. And Um, be amazed that we've had such an opportunity to hear from you, hear from your word. Um, Help us to think that way about those that where now we're the messengers. And would you give us courage? It's scary. Um, Give us boldness, strengthen our faith. And Lord, we do pray uh, for every name that has come across someone's mind today as I've been speaking. I pray for them. I pray that you would open doors for them to hear the gospel. I pray that you give them a heart to receive the gospel. Uh, that, that you would use our group to, uh, as we mature in Christ, to reach the world for Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.